Hi, everyone. Welcome to the very first interview on Jody's Silver Linings. There's a reason this interview is the first. I don't know how many of you have heard of IPDTL, but if you haven't and you're a broadcaster, a voice actor, or a podcaster, or all three, you're missing out. In quality, the company behind IPDTL began trading as a small business startup in the UK in 2013. Its founding director and the fellow I'll be interviewing here is Kevin Leach, a former radio host and BBC sound engineer. Personally, I use IPDTL on a regular basis as an ISDN bridge. It works like a charm, and it's entirely Chrome browser-based. Plus, Kevin and his team have just introduced multi-track recording right in the browser. That's how I'm recording right now, in fact. But they also have SIP functionality and a service for call-in shows called Hybrip. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Hi, Jody. It's great to be, and well, it's an honor to be your first ever interviewee on this <laughs> podcast. How exciting. Well, welcome. I'm glad to have you here. <laughs> um, so I have a question for you. I have a bunch of questions for you, in fact. You've really created an amazing service, and we will certainly talk more about that. But to start with, I want to know how you became an entrepreneur. I mean, did you always know that you wanted to do your own thing, or was it just something you fell into? It's a strange thing to describe oneself as, isn't it? Uh, I am <laughs> I guess an so, entrepreneur. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I suppose I am. Um, if you uh, think about what that word means, it, it does describe me. And it's, um, it's a life that I'm quite happy with. So, so yeah, how did it start? Well, I, I think I have always uh, been... The, the entrepreneur lifestyle has always been attractive to me. Uh, when I was at high school, I was a, a DJ. I was a, a mobile DJ. So I, uh, when <laughs> Why I does was, that not surprise me? <laughs> yeah, when I was probably, well, let's say 14 years old, I was gathering uh, DJ equipment and taking mm -hmm. bookings to, to DJ at, you know, I was 14 and I was going into, you know, licensed venues, uh, DJing 18th <laughs> and 24th, the 21st birthday parties and engagement parties. And, mm -hmm. and of course, that led on to doing lots of weddings. Um, so, so yeah, it, at an early age, I was already um, thinking about how I can uh, sell services and, and make money um, uh, rather than you know, in, in ways other than taking on a traditional job. And then by the time I was, I guess, 19, I had several DJs working for me. So because, of course, wow. I mean, the limitation of the DJ industry is that there are only 52 Saturdays in the year. You know, you mm -hmm. think, great, I've, I've invested in all of this equipment and here I am and I'm available so I can be out every night earning money. And actually, you realize that people only want you on a Saturday. So that there, are only, <laughs> yeah. there are only 52, 52 nights in a year that you can realistically charge the big money. And mm -hmm. well, and then that means you're working every Saturday as well and of Saturday course. night. So it's kind of ruins your Sunday. And um, so I think there's a reason many people only uh, continue that lifestyle f for a while. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, that was my, my first taste of entre entrepreneurship. And uh, so I realized when there was only 52 Saturdays a year that I would have to, in order to grow the business, the only way to do it would be to take uh, to get extra equipment and have uh, additional people working for me so that then I was acting as an agent and sending people out. Um, Makes sense, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it does. It kind of focuses a lot of the work on the weekend, which from a lifestyle point of view it goes against the whole idea of entrepreneurship <laughs> and being in, you know, being in control of, of your own life. So mm -hmm. yeah, that, that, that was certainly my... Um, my earliest 
memory of entrepreneurship. So did you have influences early on? Were there any mentors or authors who wrote books that you admired or colleagues that encouraged you? Um, well, I then went on to work for the BBC uh, quite quite soon. I was a, a commercial radio host mm-hmm. um, for a few years, and then I kind of drifted into into the BBC. So I, I suppose you could say that I, aside from being a freelance radio host, um, that I left the world of entrepreneurship behind for a while. Um, so I, I was a you know, radio host and I did things like reading travel news. Mm-hmm. And um, then I, when I uh, joined the BBC uh, as a travel news presenter, um, I got more involved in sound engineering and, and I became more of a, a sound engineer um, for like BBC News Talk stations, sure. uh, BBC Five Live, BBC Radio Four. Um, so sitting in the studio as, as what you might call a, a board operator and a studio director, we called it. Um, Mm -hmm. so, and and I'm telling you this to, to give you a bit of, um, a bit of context, um, here really. Um, so, but yeah, in my time at the BBC, I, I, the people who inspired me were those that I remember quite, quite often the BBC would have to save money and make, it would decide it was going to make a saving. Um, and the way it would make a saving would be by closing a department and getting rid of all their staff. So for instance, you would see the, um, the, all of the technical trucks, you know, the uh, the remote trucks uh-huh. that were going out um, reporting on news stories or doing um, re- radio remotes or, or whatever. The BBC would say, right, we're going to sell all of them now and we're going to uh, make all of the operators uh, redundant. Um, and I remember nice. there were <laughs> there were operators at the time who saw an opportunity here and they, they you know they they knew that the BBC wouldn't just stop doing this kind of activity so mm-hmm. so a they took the redundancy b they bought the old trucks from the BBC and then of course next they went and sold their their services and rented the trucks back to the BBC and of, <laughs> of course of course at, a, at a, far, a far higher rate than the BBC would have been paying them in the first place wow so and much of, for and, savings <laughs> well of course yeah which is you know this is kind of an ongoing story the uh, yeah. rinse and repeat cycle uh, in I think probably any similar public body but the BBC is particularly mm-hmm. bad at this at, at trying to save money and then uh, ultimately realizing it needs to continue doing the things and, and find a more expensive way to do it so so yeah I was quite in that's quite a long way of uh, a, a, a long way around of saying that yeah those people inspired me uh, to see you know to, to turn something that on the face of it you know being made redundant from your job you know mm-hmm. on the face of it that sounds like a terrible thing but they saw it as um as an opportunity and thought well yeah great let's take our redundancy money buy the trucks and and then go on and and form our own business out of this um and it's kind of a story that i saw happen time and time again so i i can't name anybody in particular but i did see that happen a mm-hmm. lot and then in terms of inspiration I, I, I was thinking about this. Um, there's a guy here in the UK, and of course, my reference points over here in the UK. Of course, a lot yeah. of my reference points are, are in you know UK broadcasting, and the BBC gets mentioned a lot. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a guy called uh, Mark Goodyear who is uh, he, he was a radio host on on BBC Radio One, our youth pop network, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he was very successful uh, at a young age as a as a radio host. 
And more recently, he's been in touch with us and he uses our services and there's a testimonial great. from him on uh, our website. So, it, you know, it's great to um, to finally make contact with somebody who you admired years ago. But but the reason I admired him, because he did a similar thing in that he was a radio host working within the, the network employed by the BBC. And in his short time doing that job, he looked around the organisation and thought, Ah, I can see there's there's a market there, and there's you know there's um there's a niche that we can get involved in here. He, whilst he was working there, set up his his own company called Wise Buddha, which is a production company. Uh-huh. So he sold his own his own services as a host back to the BBC. He then took on other hosts as an agent and sold their services back to the BBC. Um, <laughs> and then he saw that there was a market in uh, independent production, so producing programmes independently and selling them to the corporation and making jingles and idents and selling them to the corporation. And I see the pattern now, here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and he's now... Um, I think when you grow a business like that, initially targeting a, a public corporation like that, you then build up the kudos of saying, look, we provide this public organization with services. And then the commercial independent sector of course. Um, says, wow, well, they're clearly doing a good job. And then so then you find that you're selling to the entire market as well. And that's exactly what his company has done. And mm-hmm. um, 25 years on, he's um, he's in control of this, this massive operation that's got loads of different departments and provide lots of different services to um, the, the broadcast industry around the world. So, so yeah, Mark, uh, we've never met, but, we, but we've um, spoken recently. Is um, it, it, I, I would certainly say is an inspiration as an entrepreneur because he he really just saw the opportunities and and you know nothing held him back. You know, he, he just ran with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see how that would be inspirational. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you started IPDTL out of what need? What need did you see? And did you have some challenges with that along the way? <laughs> well, funnily enough, it, the reference point here is once again, when I was working at the BBC mm-hmm. as a, a board operator, like I say, the, the main network that I was working on was called Radio, well, is called Radio 5 Live. It's the BBC's news and sport network. And um, until recently, only available on AM. And AM in, in this country has always sounded particularly bad. But uh, so <laughs> you, you, okay. you, there's... Yeah, there's something to be said for the content of that station that they've mm-hmm. always managed to be successful before digital broadcasting. We've got um, what we call DAB, digital radio, which is kind mm-hmm. of the equivalent of, of HD radio um, over here. It's a kind of European standard. Um, now that station is available. And of course, you can listen online and through mm-hmm. apps on your phone. But it, yeah, for many years, it was on this awful flaky uh, AM uh, frequency and it would fade in and out as you went under tunnels and bridges and, uh, and things. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I spent a lot of time there as a board operator. And the more that we moved away from this scratchy old um, AM medium uh, platform um, uh, onto, like I say, web streaming and uh, digital radio, the more it was necessary uh, to move away from connecting to guests on scratchy old phone lines. Mm -hmm. We still did a lot of this and they still do a lot of this. Uh, They do. It's a news and sports station. So a lot of their content is uh, soccer commentary and so they'll send out um ball by ball commentators who travel the length and breadth of the um the country and the continent uh, reporting back on soccer games uh-huh. 
And they still, to this day, are carrying these old, um, in fact, I'm looking at one now, um, so it looks like something uh, that's like old wartime technology, something <laughs> out of the ark. Um, it's an old metal um, hand-built ISDN audio codec made by a company called Glen Sound here in the UK, who are another mm-hmm. company, actually, who've, um, who, who saw a market and, and really ran with it. Um, now they still use these things. The, the commentators turn up at the uh, soccer ground, and they 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 need a physical ISDN line to which to connect this clunky old equipment, mm-hmm. uh, which is a digital phone line, which has been around for about thirty years now. And they plug it into this line. They cross their fingers that it works, and they dial <laughs> a phone number, a digital phone number. Uh, which rings an equivalent line at the studio who's got uh, an equivalent piece of equipment and by some miracle it connects the call between both locations um it's uh, called an isdn call i mean isdn is used for other things as well you know the mm-hmm. military use it for communication and banks and use it voice for acting yeah <laughs> communications and voiceovers voice mm-hmm. talent use it for uh, connecting to their client studios and have done for many years but of course it means mm-hmm. having uh, a physical line installed in your house and it's very expensive um the biggest sometimes you can't get it yeah yeah well and that's becoming more and more of an issue the biggest mm-hmm. A telecoms provider in the USA, AT&T, uh, are rapidly pushing the prices up and encouraging their um, customers in in you know in quite a ruthless way really to um, to to migrate from the technology just by saying either we're turning it off or we're putting your bill up you know an obscene amount. Yeah, um, I, you're over there uh, on the eastern edge of uh, Canada near the U.S. border. Um, did what's what's the deal for you there? Do you, are you without the ability to get an it depends on where you are. Where I am right now near Toronto, um, you can get them in Toronto still, but you would have a really hard time getting them north of the city or like outside of the city proper. Right. Um, just because they just don't build them anymore. It's not like they're putting them in. <laughs> yeah. So so likewise, the, the telecoms company, there, they've got little interest in, in selling you this service, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was at this BBC talk station where they still do and have been using this old-fashioned technology using what's known as the G722 codec, which gives you a fairly scratchy-sounding mm. um, audio, fairly scratchy-sounding voice voice by you know compared to what we're talking on now which is an uh, an IPDTL connection using the opus codec there's a massive difference in terms of uh, bandwidth there and and therefore how you know how much of my voice you can hear compared to mm-hmm. how well you can hear these um football commentators soccer commentators well, right now you're coming um, in loud and clear so well i'm i'm glad to hear that yeah <laughs> um so I would sit in the studio at BBC Radio 5 Live listening to all this shoddy quality audio coming in on scratchy phone lines and things. And You're thinking, so polite. I'd use a different word. <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be, there's got to be a better way to do this. Um, and I mean, we, we were talking before we started the recording here about how... Um, Standards today are strange. You know, on the one hand, mm-hmm. you've got you've got people um, who uh, have expensive hi-fi equipment in their home, and they want everything to be perfect and separate equipment and great big floor-standing speakers and things. Mm-hmm. And then in the next room, you've got your your kids listening to music coming out of the tiny little speaker on the on the bottom of a, a cell phone. So um, there are both extremes there, um, and I think. 
Um, it, to an extent, radio listeners just put up and have got used to putting up with whatever quality they are, are mm-hmm. given. But I, I wasn't happy with that. I've never been happy with that. Uh, as I guess I am a bit of an audiophile myself. I don't have massively expensive hi-fi equipment, but I want stuff to sound decent. And I think, you know, from a kind of aspirational point of view, from a broad- broadcaster's point of view, why wouldn't you want to your product to sound as good as you possibly can? Oh, totally. So, so, yeah. I, so I was sitting there day after day in this studio thinking that there's got to be a better way to do this. Uh, and and I looked around for alternatives to this ISDN technology, and there were a few around. Uh, Comrex, of course, have been building technology, um, hardware codecs that, that do this across the internet for some time. The key thing there being that they use the internet as, a, as their connection so that you don't need these old ISDN lines. Um, there's an app called Lucy Live, which has been around for some years now, uh, which does a similar thing. It's a little bit clunky, and there are various um, restrictions to, to how you can use that. And then you have issues with firewalls, with all of these things and connecting Mm -hmm. between them and i was so i suppose the entrepreneur inside me was was thinking about how how i could escape the bbc and and go (laughs) back to my entrepreneurial roots uh and how i you know how i might be able to exploit the internet and uh emerging technologies and i just happened to be browsing around looking for what I might use to set up some kind of company. I was actually thinking from an entrepreneurial point of view, I was actually thinking, is there a business in going around and installing equipment for regular radio contributors? So people who are reviewing the newspapers every week Mm -hmm. or um, people who, you know, whenever there's a breaking news story on, you know, let's say, heaven forbid, there's a there's a air disaster, the the go to person who uh, who the radio station calls and says, you know, there's been this crash. Can we talk to you about about, you know, can we hypothesize about about Mm -hmm. how this might have happened, even though we know absolutely nothing uh, at this stage? That's normally how it goes. Uh, So these kind of people who are called upon regularly and political pundits and all of these people, um, is there a business in installing equipment in these people's homes and offices that they can use that's more cost effective than this ISDN technology to connect to the radio station? So I was looking around for the equipment. and It sounds like that would be kind of like your DJing days, though, right? Like there's only so many hours you can work in a day. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and it actually, my initial business model, uh, the flaw in it was that it required me to be by my cell phone 24-7 so that whenever somebody needed to be on air i would have to connect into there and this happened i would connect into the computer that i'd installed in their house mm-hmm. and i would physically do the back end work to connect that computer through to the computer at the radio station and we wow. tried it for uh, we've got um, a, a kind of fox news equivalent station here um called uh, sky news although slightly more impartial and they do um <laughs> um you know, like a rolling cnn style news service and sure. we did experiment quite a few times putting these people on air using a camera in their home as well and an earpiece and stuff and it worked fairly well but trying to change the culture and maybe we'll go on to talk a little bit about this about trying to change the culture um, mm. of how these things are working and again sending trucks out to the, to contributors um, was quite difficult um, and slow so a lot of that was shelved anyway long story short if, <laughs> if I can if I can manage to, to trim it down a little bit um, I was browsing online to try and find technology that we could use for this. And I was looking at this Lucy Live app and a few other things. Connection Open, which actually is 
is now has been coming to fruition what feels like forever but it feels like they're slowly bringing a product to market there mm-hmm. and i looked at these various services and nothing quite um ticked all the boxes always reliable enough or cost effective enough or flexible enough and then i stumbled upon a technology known as WebRTC. Now, you may never have heard, you've probably heard of WebRTC, but the listener um, has probably never heard of WebRTC. So what um, is that? <laughs> yes, it is a crucial building block for our product, IPDTL. And it's the protocol, it's the framework which the companies that are now providing similar services to IPDTL, uh, Session Link Pro, Source Connect Now, Clean Feed, what one seems to be born every minute right now. Um, these services are all using this technology, which is built into the web browser called WebRTC. RTC is real-time communication and web, well, it's web. So web real-time communication. And it's how I'm talking to you now, mm-hmm. um, despite the fact you're over there on the East Coast of Canada and I'm here in the United Kingdom mm-hmm. looking out of the window on a beautiful um, green Yorkshire rural scene. Um, <laughs> you'd never believe it because we're talking almost in real time. We're not doing mm-hmm. that thing where we're talking over each other and we keep interrupting each other, which is often an issue with with such digital services uh, across a distance. Um, and it's amazing. It's allowed us to develop our service, IPDTL, and it's allowed a lot of innovation for similar services um, and Google Hangouts uses it to an extent now. Mm -hmm. There are various other services that are using this framework in the web browser that's got, it's got several crucial elements. One is this Opus codec that I mentioned, which is, think of it similar to MP3. It's a way Mm -hmm. of compressing high quality audio so that it can travel across the internet efficiently. So the Opus codec is in there. It's got the uh, ability to uh, handshake, if you like, to um, your computer says to mine, I would like to connect to you. And it tells your computer tells mine its IP address, mine tells yours its IP address, and they uh, agree how to connect and handshake uh, across the internet. Um, so it's got those elements. And, and then the fact that it's built into the web browser. So it's there in everybody's Google Chrome. Nobody has to install any software. It just works. Um, and it, oh, and the other crucial element is that it negotiates seamlessly. I talked about the IP addresses. It negotiates mm-hmm. seamlessly through the firewall. You don't need to know what's going on there. I don't need to know what's going on there. <laughs> it, it, that negotiation just happens. And because you've got this firewall in your router, um, mm-hmm. in your, uh, your internet router or router from your uh, internet service provider, which does a very important job. It stops hackers and criminals um, from hacking into your computer and your your home network. It prevents people from getting in uh, and being able to see your computer and your transactions and your personal data Mm -hmm. and the rest of it. So that's a very important job. However, it can be really troublesome when you're trying to connect a service such as IPDTL because it sees the traffic coming in and says, well, no, of course, I'm not going to I'm not going to let you through this. <laughs> that would be absurd. Well, this does a very good good job of negotiating that. And uh, it sends the data out first. And then um, because it goes out on a certain path, it can come back in on a certain path. And it's all it's doing all this magic in the background, which is kind of very tedious if you're if you're not interested in this kind of thing. But it's also <laughs> very important in making a service 
to make this work. So all of those elements allowed us to produce IPDTL um, on a shoestring, and and we really we really did launch this service uh, on a shoestring. I there were no investors, mm-hmm. and I didn't have buckets of cash in the bank. In <laughs> fact, I remember drawing money on credit cards and and things, and using a bank overdraft to. Um, uh, to start this company um so it's not it's not like we i went out and got a load of venture capitalists or or anything like that it it was really done on a shoestring and in the early days everything that we wanted to do the first question was well can we afford it you know what's it going to cost and how sure, can we yeah. how can we do it for for next to nothing um <laughs> and we and we really did we we ran the business we still run the business on on next to nothing you know it's not it's not like it's a, a massive money spinner and we've got um hundreds and hundreds of, of thousands of dollars coming in um and that we can have big plush offices and and a team of staff it's <laughs> it's a small niche company and there's myself and my business partner and we we continue to operate on a shoestring and I think that's part of uh, why we've managed to be so successful is that we continue to do things uh, apart from you know we, we were extravagant once in a while with trade shows and and things but generally mm-hmm. we we do everything uh, on a really tight budget and and that's how the company has managed to evolve to where it is today I think. Well I imagine that having a smaller company means that you can pivot you can do things differently if you need to on a you know no kind of uh, leeway you know you can just go and do what you want. <laughs> Yeah, and the the risk is low, you know. If That's you, true, yeah. If you want to try adding another service, we um, our niche now with IPDCL, because like I say, there are other services that have come along and, and done very similar things now, where we've got a, a couple of niches. One is SIP, which we can come on to talk about, and the other mm-hmm. is... We talked about this ISDN service, this crazy thing where you need a digital phone line and dedicated hardware and and you carry the equipment around or you mm-hmm. install it in your in your home and the phone companies are charging stupid amounts of money for it. Well, it is still in use in the broadcast and, and voice and audio production industries, as you well know. And, yeah, and I know unfortunately. You actually, <laughs> you actually use this service yourself. You, you mentioned this in, in your introduction. Mm-hmm. We've got this ISDN bridging service. So w- what we've done is kind of glue the old technology onto the new technology um, so that we can bridge it in the middle. So from this service on your computer with a web browser, you can have your own ISDN number that people dial or you can dial out to people's ISDN lines. And it's as if you do have this old ISDN service without all of the the cost and and hassle uh, of having it installed. So we've got this nice niche now, um, which uh, we, we were able to launch Pretty easily. Um, I mean, there were some challenges, but it was I, I, my my point is that myself, and my business partner, could scratch our heads between us and say, "Well, why don't we try this?" And we literally, you know, bought some bits of kit and tried plugging them together and rented a small <laughs> yeah. space in a, in a local internet co-location data center and. It was literally a quarter rack, you know, a quarter of one of those racks that you that you see in mm-hmm. a, in a server room. We rented that and installed our equipment in it, and said, "Well, let's just see if it works." And this was in the, here in the UK, and we tried it, and it didn't work. And then we tried it again, and it still didn't work. And then we tried it again, and it and it sort of worked. And then we got to the stage that it did work, <laughs> and, and then we were able, able to gradually roll that out and install similar equipment in the USA. We've now got our main servers in Dallas, Texas. Our other ISDN bridging location is in. 
in uh, Denver, Colorado. Um, and we've got several servers in these locations and lots of physical ICN lines coming in and out, which is, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure to stay on top of sure, yeah. when, when it's in the wrong country, you know, just a different <laughs> country to, to, to where, you're, where you're based. So, but it, we were able to build all of this up gradually and um, each time we had a little bit of success, we could plow that money back into um, rolling out the services further. Um, and like you say, it's low risk and you it, it allows you to be quite creative in your approach, I think, mm-hmm. when you don't have to um, talk to investors and say, we'd like to do this, but it's going to cost X amount of dollars. Um, and they've got to put faith in the idea. And then what yeah, happens totally. if it doesn't work? You know, it's, 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 it's a really nice way to run a business. And it's scary at times. And sometimes things don't work as well as you expect them to. But, you know, things have touched wood, things have gone, you know, have been surprisingly seamless to date and and the technology is most of the time runs reliably uh-huh. um and and i'm and i'm rambling <laughs> <laughs> that's okay why don't you tell me about sip so this is this is a new product that you have just put out yeah sip um people always want to know what these things stand for and it's a bit like <laughs> well i'm curious <laughs> too because i have yeah. very little experience with it so yeah <laughs> we should go we should just go back on these things ipdtl <laughs> is internet protocol down the line Mm -hmm. IP, you know, IP technology is what drives the world now. So if you don't know what IP stands for, you've been living under a rock. So that's the IP (laughs) part. Down the line is down the line. I am talking to you down the line, Mm -hmm. the virtual line um, across the internet. So that's IPDTL. ISDN is, there should be a glossary for this, shouldn't there? Yeah, there should, yeah. is uh, Integrated Services Digital network now and what that's does through that copper mean? wire right yeah, yeah yeah it is um the the you know like a traditional phone line from the mm-hmm. 18 late 1800s um so what does that mean you know integrated services digital network it means <laughs> it means nothing doesn't it so um, and likewise <laughs> sip I mean, it's nice to know what it means but it's again it means nothing session initiation protocol it hardly rolls off the tongue but what it means is <laughs> It's for establishing phone calls. And if you work in a modern office, if you're listening to this podcast now in a modern office rather than doing your work, good on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've probably got a, a digital VoIP phone, voice over IP phone on your on your desk. The chances are that that's running SIP. That's, being, that's based on SIP. And SIP is the protocol that's being used to uh, connect that phone call, you know, your phone call from that device to another phone call in the building or elsewhere in the world. So that's what SIP is. It's actually a very common technology which is being used on billions of devices around the world in offices um, the world over. So how does that tie into IPDTL? Well, SIP can also be used for professional broadcast um and for hmm. for professional audio uh, so for instance the, the only difference between the sip call that i just described between two offices and the a sip call that we might be having now between us uh, across the internet is the codec they're using a scratchy old codec g711 is the is the classic codec that runs mm-hmm. um voice phone calls and we're using the opus codec and that's the only difference the the protocol for establishing the call is the same it just uses a, a higher bandwidth higher quality codec um to transmit the the audio to transmit the voice so we can use sip in the professional audio world to make a call such as we have now between two compatible devices 
Uh, well, why do we need that? I hear you ask when you've already got ABDTL and it does the job perfectly well. Well, um, we are about openness and interoperability and um, anti-monopoly. We don't want to be the company that controls every professional audio connection in the world. Um, I, I couldn't handle the pressure, to be honest with you. Um, for a small company like us, that would be a lot of responsibility. We're far more about promoting interconnectivity between devices made by different manufacturers. We talked earlier about Comrex. There's Tyline. There's the Lucy Live app, which mm -hmm. we talked about. Um, there are many of these devices and apps now coming uh, on the market. Um, AEQ, Digigram, um, and, and many more. There, there seems to be, um, if I'm going to the IBC show, which is a trade show in Amsterdam in, in a few weeks, and there'll be loads of these devices that support SIP and support the Opus codec. So, we so if you're using SIP, is it like super easy to use on your cell phone? Is that why, you know, this is becoming more of, uh, more of a thing? <laughs> there's a cell phone app called Linphone. In fact, there are several cell phone apps, um, but there's one called Linphone, which is free, which is compatible with our SIP.audio service. Mm -hmm. There's Lucy Live, which we talked about earlier, which is is uh, higher quality and allows you to connect an external microphone. Um, uh, that can be run on your cell phone. So you can connect from these apps on your cell phone to IPDTL, or you can connect from these apps on your cell phone to the devices that we mentioned by uh, Comrex or, or AQ mm -hmm. or whoever. My point being, it gives you a central standard connectivity protocol which all of these devices support. So instead of saying in the audio production industry right now, there's this um, there's a company called Source Elements who you could say are one mm -hmm. of our competitors, and they've been very successful. They've produced a bit of software called Source Connect, and a lot of studios are adopting it now for connecting mm -hmm. between um, voice production and audio production studios, which is great. But it does it does create a bit of a mon monopoly, doesn't it? You know what happens if such a company put their prices up, or uh, what happens if the, if the you know heaven forbid the, the company were to to fail overnight all of these um businesses and and voice talent and the rest who have invested and, and if you like put all their eggs in that basket uh, mm -hmm. of that particular product uh, what happens if that product either ceases to be or if the prices skyrocket so so it's it, whilst it's a great service that they've got there and it's um it's proven to be very successful I would, well, I would encourage Source Elements to include the SIP capability within their products. And I would encourage any company who are making uh, devices or apps for connecting, uh, as we are across the internet, for, for high mm -hmm. quality audio production, to include this SIP protocol. Therefore, a service such as SIP.audio, which is the service that we are now promoting and selling, which is a subscription service, um, will allow you to create those connections between those devices, but also other SIP providers who are selling SIP services can also sell those services. And therefore, nobody is getting tied into one um, particular service. And, and you've got a system, therefore, in the future. Jody, when you say to me, Kevin, will you be on my podcast? I can say, sure, my address is kevin at zip.audio. There's no other conversation to be had. You don't need to know what technology I'm using, whether mm -hmm. I'm using a Comrex, IPDTL, or, 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 or an app on my phone. You simply go to your SIP client, type in that address, and you can connect to me. So, so that's where I see the future, and that's why now we are putting our focus and efforts on that product. That makes sense. <laughs> so uh, I think we're pretty much coming to the end here, but... Uh... 
if there's anything else that you'd like to mention before we go, I'd love to hear it. Um, only that I wish you great success with this uh, new <laughs> venture of yours. And and again, how uh, how pleased I am to be your and honoured I am to be your your first interviewee. Uh, and I hope that um, something has inspired somebody. You know, if 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 um, if one little thing that I've said has inspired somebody, then then that that's enough, right? Uh, sure. Uh, is there a particular way that people can get in touch with you if they would like to uh, talk about those issues? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All of the social media platforms, uh, you can find us at Inquality Media on Twitter, um, or you can go to our support site, support.inqualitymedia.com, or even easier than all of that, send an email to support at ipdtl.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kevin. I really appreciate your coming on here. <laughs> Thanks, Jody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you for listening and keep looking for those silver linings. Until next time.